Today on Growing Through Grace. I think it was heavy on Paul's heart as they began to grow again to go, oh man, I'm going to get whooped here pretty soon. He's probably ducking at shadows. Every knock at the door is a mob about to drag him out of town and kill him. Because that's all he knows. First loneliness and discouragement, now blessing and fear. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. And here at the beginning of the week, we'll pick up where we left off last time in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Our journey through the book finds us with Paul in the city of Corinth as he begins to preach there and finds the usual resistance from the Jews in this city, so he turns to the Gentiles. Pastor Jack will show us how God responds to Paul's discouragement in a loving and direct way. We'll be able to glean much from this lesson, so let's join our teacher for the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Jack. Verse 6 tells us, When they opposed him and, and they blasphemed, he shook his garments. He said to them, Your blood can be upon your own heads. I am clean, and from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. The reaction to Paul's boldness was swift. It was blasphemous. Uh, They opposed themselves. In fact, verse 6, it talks about opposed him, but it's in the middle voice. So it literally means in opposing him, they oppose themselves. They're they're opposing Paul, but but really the Lord says, in not listening to the good news, they're, they're, they're their own worst enemy, if you will. Paul said the same thing, I think, in that second Timothy chapter 2 letter where where he said to Timothy, avoid the foolish questions of men and all. Be temperate. Don't strive. You know, maybe God will give them repentance to, to, to know the truth and they'll, be, they'll brought, be brought to their senses and they'll escape the, the snare of the, the, the devil who's taken them captive at their own will. Paul gave them the same advice. Just, you got to kind of be, you know, ready to give answers. But, but notice his reaction. I think, I think with, with what happened in Thessalonica, what happened in Berea, what happened in Athens, and now in Corinth, that Paul had had enough. You know, they'd been given opportunities time and again to believe, and Paul just figures, I can't do it. And he, and he shakes his, his garment out, and he says, your blood be upon your own head. The words out of Ezekiel, the prophet, means you're responsible for your own destiny, right? You're responsible for what you know. It's a phrase that the spies use with Rahab, you might remember. Well, they said, if you'll do these things and tie this out the window, then you'll be fine. And, and, and whoever's in their house with you, you'll be saved. But if you don't do it, then your blood be upon your own head. That's going to be your responsibility. So Paul had had it. He just figured this wasn't a place to be. He loved the people. He was one of them. But he knew that his calling was ultimately to the Gentiles. And so you're going to have to answer for it. He was frustrated. <laughs> and he was tired of the opposition, I think, more than anything else. Which brings us to verse 7 where we read, He departed from there, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice. He was a man who worshipped God, and his house happened to be next door to the synagogue. Oh, that's helpful. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all of his household, as well as many of the Corinthians. When they heard, they believed, and they were baptized. So Paul, Paul moves next door to Justice's home, 
not exactly a way to avoid conflict. I may have told you the story before, but when we were in Holland a few years ago, um, the Church of Satan was the largest church downtown. It had more practicing, I don't know what you call them, Satanists than everybody else. So Youth with a Mission got the good idea to plant a coffee shop next door to the place. So when these folks would come out of their church services, they would come in and get coffees and they'd have all their folks sitting around sharing. They stayed there for three years. In three years, the Church of Satan closed in Amsterdam. Closed because everyone either got saved or just left. And the Lord used them to plant them next door. And I remember talking to the fella who had come to that idea and he was so excited that the Lord had used them just in friendship kind of evangelism over a, a cup of coffee. So um, Paul moved next door. He, he would write to the Romans, and again, from the city, he would write, if there are any means I could use to provoke my own people, my flesh and blood, that some of them could be saved, I would do that. I, would just want, I want to provoke them to listen and believe. Well, he did. He moved right next door to the synagogue. They would go in, and then he'd be next door having Bible study. A pretty interesting setup, pretty bold uh, of Paul, certainly. And uh, J Justin's family name might have been, uh, if you're taking notes, uh, might have been Gaius. In Romans chapter 16, um, verse 23, Paul will write, Gaius is my host and the host of the whole church here, and he greets you. So it could very well be that, that Paul... Um, met in Justin's home, and that would then have been his family name, and, and you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind. If that's so, it is also one of the only names that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as having baptized that family. So the connections are all there in the letters, certainly. In any event, God began to move in very unmistakable ways. Notice in verse 8 that, that the, the result was even the the, the rabbi next door got saved, so did his family, and then the Corinthians began to come and listen and believe, and, and they had baptisms, and, and uh, there were very few people baptized by Paul, but there was a lot of stir going on. <laughs> and, and I don't doubt that Paul wondered if, man, what's the next problem here? Notice that many of the Corinthians, the fornicators, the, the perverse in the town, they heard about Jesus, and they came and were baptized. And I, I should just point out to you, since we're going through it, Paul didn't baptize many folks because, for one thing, it became a status symbol. Who's been, have you been baptized by Paul or not? Second of all, he didn't believe it was a part of the gospel. In fact, he said very clearly in his First Corinthians letter, God didn't call me to baptize, he called me to preach the gospel. Everywhere in the Bible, baptism for the believer is an after uh, uh, obedient after uh, event, obedience to the word of God. So, you know, there are people that will teach you have to be baptized to be saved. They have not bothered to read their Bibles. Paul categorized them as, as part, or, or categorized baptism as part of church life um, and separated the gospel from it. So I believe if Paul truly believed you had to be baptized to be saved, you will not read in 1 Corinthians 14, oh, I baptized this guy and that guy and everybody else. I don't even know who they were. I think he'd have been baptizing 24 hours a day because that's where his heart was, was to see people get saved. 
So get yourself situated here. There's a synagogue next door. Every week the church next door is growing while the synagogue seems to be shrinking. The prostitutes are coming. The affluent are coming. The religious idolaters are coming. Jewish leaders are coming. Their initial response might have been anger, but you know how that goes. It won't be long before disdain becomes violent. Paul had had that every place he had stopped. And so I think it was heavy on Paul's heart as they began to grow again to go, oh man, I'm going to get whooped here pretty soon. I, I, you know, he's probably ducking at shadows yet. Every knock at the door is a mob about to drag him out of town and kill him. Because that's all he knows. And that, that, that first loneliness and dis- discouragement, now blessing and fear. Which is why we read in verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night in a vision. Do not be afraid. Speak, do not, or do not keep silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you or hurt you. I have many people in this city. And he continued there for 18 months teaching the word of God among them. One night, the Lord gave Paul a vision. It was perfectly timed. It was greatly needed. This won't be the last time Jesus comes to talk to Paul. He'll have a meeting with him in uh, Acts 23 in Jerusalem in Acts 27, on a boat on the way to Rome. But, but you, can always, you can always tell what the Lord is dealing with by what he says. He says to Paul, first thing, don't be afraid. What, what would that tell you? That Paul was afraid, right? That he was worried about what was coming next. In fact, he wrote that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. We were with you in much trembling and fear. He was. As revival began, I think Paul recalled Lystra and Philippi and others And, you know, there'd been some gains, but at great personal expense. If you ever read the the, the gospel and think of Paul as a super saint, I would tell you he's not. He hurt like you do. (laughs) He struggled like we do. He he was fearful, and, you know, he'd flinch too once he got hit a few times, and so would you. But he's a brave guy, and he's looking for a revival. He loves it and hates it all at the same time, if that makes any sense. He couldn't be happier with all the people that are coming. He's totally fearful that that's going to bring with him another round of of tremendous suffering. And yet, he needed to hear from Jesus. And Jesus came and said to him, don't be afraid. Why not? A, I'm with you. The surest defense against fear is the awareness of the presence of God. If the Lord is with you, what do you have to fear? When I was a little kid and I'd go places with my dad even in the dark, I wasn't afraid. If my dad wasn't there, I'd be afraid in the, cl- in the closet in my bedroom. What's in there? It's noisy. Probably a monster. When dad was around, I'd go right to sleep. I didn't care. Dad would have to deal with the monster. Same thing with this. Right? The presence of God. David learned it fairly quickly. You know, he was, he was able to say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Know that tonight. The Lord is with you. Paul would write as he learned that lesson, again to the Romans, which he wrote from Corinth, if God be for us, who can be against us? That was, he learned that here in Corinth. If God is with us, who can be against us? So, I'm with you. No one will hurt you. God promises Paul divine protection in this city. Now, he didn't promise him that in every city, as we are well aware of. Sometimes God brings you 
through the trials, sometimes he delivers you from them. Now, I would just vote, I want to be delivered from all of them. I don't want to go through any of them. I don't want rain. Oh, I've seen the dark night. No, I don't need any of that. I want sunshine and downhill and wind at my back and blessing. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way. But at least in this case, for this year and a half, Paul had a word from the Lord that things were going to go well. And Paul might have been getting paranoid or timid. Paul, don't be afraid. Second of all, speak up, man. Tell everyone. I know that you're going to see what you Just tell everyone. I'll protect you. Shoot, shoot off your mouth. I'll take care of you. Pretty cool word of prophecy. And then he says this to him. I have much people in this city. I just love, I, I underline it in my Bible every time I see it. I keep underlining. I have many people in this city. I love the fact that the Lord is able to look at Corinth, a bunch of unsaved perverts, and say of them, they're mine. I'm coming after them. That God saw the city far differently than Paul would have with his own two eyes. Those people that night sat in the bars, were with the prostitutes on the hill, were out partying and struggling and straying. The Lord saw them as his own. Paul would write to Timothy in his second letter, to the last letter to Timothy in chapter 2, this is one thing that you can know. This is the, the solid foundation upon which God stands. The Lord knows those who are his. God has an eye on those that are going to come. That, that's where his heart is. I, I've chosen you in him before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul would write to the Ephesians. So Paul was given an assurance by the Lord that there was much work to be done. Athens, the place he came from, was, was pretty poor soil. The intellectuals were there. But here in the filth capital of the world, there were hungry, lonely, disillusioned by the worldly pleasure. They were lost. Um, how do you suppose God will reach our city? through you and I. The gangs, the drugs, the punks, just the criminals. Do you see them when you go to the store as future children of God? You go, ah, that guy could be saved. Or do you go, ah, get away from that guy, he's scary. Do, or should they, should they be avoided? Or should we, we, we reach out? I, I believe that God has lots of people in the city that want to be saved. And I think the Lord would say to you and I, go speak, don't be silent. I have a lot of people I want to reach. And, and, and for better or worse, his chosen method of reaching them is you and I. And you might say to yourself, oh man, I wish it wasn't me. But how are they going to believe on him when they, you know, how are they going to call upon him when they have not believed in? How are they going to believe in him whom they have not heard of? And how are they going to hear unless there comes a preacher and, and how will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are, on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news of peace. That's in the, the Romans letter too. <laughs> and Paul wrote that from here as well. He learned a lot here. Things that, that, that gripped his heart at a time when he, he was open to hear whatever God had to say. So rather than looking around seeing all the failures of men and the sinfulness of men, and Paul could have looked out the window and go, man, this is a gross town. He looked out and went, these are people God wants to reach. And he put himself in that position to do it. I'll say this to you. You will never know what God can do with you until you open up your mouth and share God's word with someone. 
It'll blow your mind what he'll do <laughs> and how people get saved. It's just ridiculous. You got saved in that five-minute conversation? I, now I see the light. And you'll be high-fiving Jesus all the way home. Verse 11 says, For 18 months, Paul was here teaching the word of God. He was encouraged, invigorated. He was, he was, he was on fire. <laughs> he was strengthened. God's way to reach a city that is lost is through the teaching and through the preaching of his word. These Gentiles, for the most part, had no biblical background whatsoever. They were absolutely idolaters. They knew nothing else. And yet, how do they get reached? The ultimate new believer class, just teach the Bible. It works. It works. With just a word from the Lord, Paul presses on with great confidence, even doing what he had not done up to this point, he stayed in one place for a year and a half. That was unheard of. All because he'd heard from Jesus and was willing to do the work. I, I like that there's, a, there, uh, there's a, a scripture in Isaiah chapter 7 where King Ahaz is being threatened by an invasion. And the Lord comes to King Ahaz and he said, look, if you'll trust me, I'll tell you one thing. Their plans will not stand and their counsel will not come to pass. That was all he said to him. You just trust me. Whatever they're up to, it's not going to work. And fortunately, Ahaz, uh, unfortunately, I should say, Ahaz turned away in fear, but the Lord protected them by his word anyway. Our response to the promises of God have no effect on the outcome of the battle. Let me say that again. Our response to the to the promises of God have no effect on the outcome of the battle. But it'll have a great effect on whether you become a vessel through whom God can work or not. Notice in verse 11, 18 months in Corinth. Write this down or, or try to remember. In those 18 months, Paul wrote from here two letters to the Thessalonians, a letter to the Romans, where there was already a church established, a letter to the Hebrews, and then soon after this, First and Second Corinthians, which you may want to go read in light of what you have read here tonight so you know a little bit about it. That'll be your extra credit. Turn in your homework before the surgery and we'll give you stars. So all of that coming from this time, 18 months, right? Two Thessalonian letters, Romans, Hebrews, and then as soon as he leaves, two letters to the Corinthians as well, and they needed it. One little section to go before we call it a night. Verse 12. When Galigo, Galio, Galio was made the proconsul or the governor of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul to bring him to the seat of judgment. And they said, this fellow is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wickedness, O Jews, there would be reason that I would bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, then you look to it yourself, for I will not be a judge to you in such manners. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all of the Jews, uh, Greeks, not the Jews, but the Greeks, took Sosthenes, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of that at all. Galileo comes to power while Paul is here for 18 months. Remember, God had said, no one's going to hurt you. Galileo, or Gallio, had great connections in Rome. He was the brother of Seneca, if you know anything about Greek history. He was Nero's uh, 
teacher, a tutor. Galileo was put in charge of Achaia in 51 AD as proconsul, according to history. His appointment prompted the Jews who already hated Paul to try to make a political and kind of, you know, corporate move against him by going after a new governor who wanted to put his best foot forward and complain immediately about Paul. And they, they wanted to take legal action to stop the spread of Christianity. They hoped a new governor would act quickly and decisively to make a good impression on Rome. However, from what we read, they calculated wrong. Because notice, when Paul was about to speak for himself, he'd been in this position before, the Lord moved upon this pro-council's heart in such a way that Paul didn't have to say a thing. Remember what the Lord said? I've got your back. <laughs> no one's going to hurt you here. So when he began to speak, instead of Galileo, he spoke up. I love how God's in charge. I, Paul, just sit back and watch this. Galileo, or Galileo, whatever his name is, saw this action as Jewish jealousy, internal dispute, and he threw it out of court. The Greeks, seeing how they tried to be, these Jews, turn against others, and especially the believing Greeks, uh, the Greeks came and they lashed out at the Jews with their own brand of wickedness. They, emboldened by the court, they rioted, took this, this rabbi from the who had replaced Crispus, apparently, as the ruler, and they beat him, and the courts didn't do anything about it. It's kind of like, yeah, you guys are on your own. Now, it could be this fellow Sosthenes that was beaten later comes around, because we do have at least one place, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, again written to this church, where Paul greets Sosthenes, our brother in the Lord. I don't know if it was a common name or not, but there was at least one guy that we can trace from here to 1 Corinthians where Paul opens his letter to them and says, hey, our brother says hello to you. So he maybe got beat right into the kingdom. I don't know. <laughs> of the 18 months that Paul was here, this incident seems to have taken place in the first eight months or so. Paul stayed another year here, this time a Roman ruler protecting him. By the way, just as a side note, in the book of Acts, you will never see the Roman government persecuting the church, ever. There is no persecution from the Roman government. Sometimes they, they vindicate you as they did here, as they did in Philippi, and as they will later on in Ephesus. The Romans tend to, to protect the church much more so than the religious folks around them. So we conclude tonight, we, we see a, a glorious work in, in Corinth. Paul is back on track. Paul is refreshed. He is encouraged. He's determined to do what God has said. He's aware of God's presence. Um, and I guess that's how you should leave church. Be encouraged. Be, be encouraged by the fact that, that even when the laborers are few, when there's hardships, that nothing spiritually accomplishes, you don't find much of it in the Bible as an easy work, but God is with you as he was with Paul. If he is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Father, we thank you tonight as we sit together for your word to us and how good it is for us to, to stop and consider uh, your word and the things that you tell us in this narrative. As we, we start with Paul alone in a big city. He doesn't know what will come next. That things haven't gone well for him. He is discouraged and upset. He is withdrawing and, and back to work and toning down his rhetoric and even his zeal seems to have momentarily been kind of laid aside. He's taking a different tack. He's going to just 
use God's word. He's not going to push the buttons much until his friend shows up and then he's back to the old guy who loves the Lord with great zeal. Thank you, Pastor Jack, for that insight of Paul experiencing more persecution from within than he did from without. Now, we've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3071. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. And as we're studying through the book of Acts, we'd like to let you know that we have all of Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Acts on a single MP3 USB flash drive. Well, this way you can go back and listen to any previous studies, or you can stop and start, or you can share these amazing studies of the Acts of the First Century Church with a friend or family member. So if you'd like to order Pastor Jack's studies through the book of Acts, all in the MP3 format on a single USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California. 90609. Or this and all of our resources are available online at growingthroughgrace.com. Again, that's growingthroughgrace.com. That's going to wrap up our time together today. We do thank you for being with us. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry Brought to you by Morning Star Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. A Calvary Chapel outreach.